just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Welcome back. Hey, good to be back. It is, as always. How's it going? Not too bad. You're weak? Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Heat's a little brutal, but that's how it is in the Midwest. Absolutely. <laughs> but we're back. Another episode for you guys. Some continuation on where we left off with the Mandalorian series, mini-series. We'll see how far so, it goes. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll dig in a little more today, but... Uh, I think we left off last time talking about, um, you know, we talked about Beskar and kind of the notoriety of it. We talked a lot about, hit on a couple of the different clans, kind of the, the culture behind the Mandalorians. I think we should talk a little bit about Mando. Well, I, that's kind of what I wanted to go into as well. So the Mandalorian series was really well done, extremely well done. There were some things I didn't like, but that comes with everything, you know. And but I say a majority of it was really well in terms of the Mandalorians and how there are still some of those traditional Mandalorians who believe in the way of never removing your mask because that's the old way. I mean, that's the that existed a long time um, ago. Like that existed in Revan's era, right? And, and that was never all of the Mandalorians, but <coughs> especially the Mandalore would have followed that. Once you put on the mask of Mandalore, most of Mandalore, of the Mandalores, would have not taken off that mask. It never comes off. And I think it's, it's also important to note that the split, the divide came after... Because the Mandalorians on the planet of Mandalore didn't believe in the old ways because they were trying to move on from the... They were trying to progress. The, quote, archaic ways, which, I mean, there's a reason the Mandalorians survived as long as they did was because of the, quote, archaic ways, but I think it's interesting that Jin was a part of that dying breed of... And he wasn't the only one. Well, and it wasn't so much of a dying breed when compared with the Mandalorian civilization, because the Mandalorian civilization had shrunk dramatically, especially under the Empire. And so the fact that that older, the followers of the Way, were actually growing very slowly, mm -hmm. but they were growing. And you see that in the television show, that there is a group of them, a conclave of, of 20 or 30 of them, and that's just one conclave. And they're all from different clans, too, right. which is and, cool. And we don't see if the if the leader of that group has multiple groups, or if she is one of multiple leaders. She's not the leader, though. Well... She's the forger. She's the forger. And, and it she... came out she wasn't the leader, which is why the other Mandalorians would continually fight for kind of that... Sigma, right, Sigma right. position. But, I mean, I, I just think it's cool that you see that. But that. we don't know from the show if there's more tribes like this throughout the galaxy, because there very well could be. You see how they just fluidly move to another place when they're found. Mm -hmm. It's very possible that there are thousands of these tribes of Mandalorians. I just think... And I think that's an interesting prospect. It is, especially given the fact that there's still Death Watch around, and there's still people from the planet Mandalore who moved away from that ideology of covering your face, 
and continually following the creed of rights versus wrongs, you know, because, I mean, look at Django. The honor system. Yeah, look at Django. The dude always took off his helmet. He completely went against some of, not the Fett creed, but he went away from some of the Mandalorian creeds and oaths. Oh, absolutely. And the guy turned out to be a mercenary, a bounty hunter. Right. For high, which a lot of Mandalorians did after their clans were dismantled, even pre-Empire and pre-Separatist time. Right. But it's just really cool that we finally get to see that bit of culture that sticks to the old ways. Because I actually, personally, I appreciate the old ways more. There's the tra- something to be appreciated in the tradition, in the honor-bound society. And it's not an honor-bound society like we have here. They have different ideas of moral ethic. And so it's kind of a weird combination of like uh, European knighthood and yet a more barbaric sense of it because they don't have the the moral ethic of it. Whereas the knights were very much tied to a Christian moral, uh, the Mandalorians are not. They're tied to an entirely different moral standard. It's 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 more of a it's more of a set of guidelines as opposed to like actual law right so if they adhere to the guidelines they can achieve the ultimate goal of bringing prosperity to the mandalorian people versus the death watch and the the people from the planet mandalore who we see in the clone wars tv series their loyalty isn't to a creed or an oath their loyalty is just to mandalore which is the way it it's kind of supposed to work, but Mandalore's supposed to be the epitome. All three of those factions... He's supposed to be the paragon of the Oath. All three of those factions are aiming at the same thing, the rise of the Mandalorians. However, each one of them has a different interpretation of what will make the Mandalorians rise. And I think all three of them are right in a way. So, the, the... let's call them the traditionalists, the Mandalorians, uh, like Mando and, and his fellows, they believe that by increasing each person's phys- like physical attributes, their, their own strength and cunning, mm. that they can slowly build a Mandalorian culture that is more resilient, which is true. If you do that, you will very slowly increase the number of your ranks, and that will increase the size and sway of the Mandalorians. And you see that in, this, in the cartoon series. Well, you see that in the cartoon series, but you see it in Mando when he is threatened. They come out and they devastate their enemies. The guild. Yep. They're fighting the bounty hunters guild. Yeah. Because uh, people are like, oh, Mandalorians? Yeah, we uh, probably shouldn't fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which and... is kind of where they're, they kind of had that stigma of everyone knew who they were. And didn't want to mess with them. Right. Because they knew what they're capable of. Oh, especially absolutely. in numbers. I mean, it's just... You know, <coughs> I, I think it's really cool to see, especially when he would get into arguments with Bo-Katan and that... Who's that? I can't remember the name of that other Mandalorian guy that was with them on that heist mission. But he's like, no. You guys are doing this all wrong. Like, but you're not Mandalorians when you act like this. We're not pirates. We're we're a people of creed and, and stature. We're an honorable warrior culture. And Bo-Katan was like, yeah, times we have changed. We are what we need to be. Yeah, she's like, times have changed. And well, that brings us into the next of the two, which would be Bo-Katan and the Death Watch, Death Watch faction. And they're right. 
they need to stand up against the ruling class, whether that be the Republic, the Empire, the First <laughs> Order, the Separatists, whoever is the power in the galaxy, they need to stand up against them in order to maintain and grow the planet of Mandalore. Because if you let the Empire come in, they're just going to purge you, which they did. And, and the Republic would completely take away from their individuality as a people. Well, their individual individuality as a people, but also their general culture because a part of their culture is their weapons and you can see it anytime Mando's traveling in the pri- in the public transport oh you have to give up your weapons mm-hmm. well this is a part of my religion yeah we don't care except for the weapons he had in his right that but, they didn't know about but they don't have <laughs> but the republic doesn't have the freedom of religion that that would be enshrined in like the u.s constitution so you don't have protection for that, even though it is truly his religion. Yeah. Um, and finally, you have you have the people of Mandalore that you see in the Clone Wars series that they're on the planet, and they believe that pacifism, and they're partially right, at that time in history, they needed to be semi-pacifistic in order to communicate with other worlds to trade with other worlds realize that they didn't have the numbers and the armaments to fight right which was true to a point had all the mandalorians come together they would have but because they were to fight the galaxy no the galaxy was united for the most part. no i i meant to make themselves known as a (coughs) they could have defended themselves yeah but i don't know that it would have helped to isolate themselves but i i think it's really cool when you finally get to see like all all the different sects, the people of Mandalore, the Death Watch, and then the traditional Mandalorians, they all share the same lineage of Mandalorians. But it's cool to see how they all branch off. They, you know, Death Watch takes this aspect and takes it. Mandalore takes this aspect of Mandalorian ways and takes it. And then the traditional guys keep all of it. But it's cool to see how they branch out and how they still kind of like they they don't like each other, but at the end of the day, they realize, well, we're all Mandalorians. We got to figure out a way to work together. Well, and it's really cool to see in a sci-fi universe that branching that you would see in in our own reality. Yeah. Like if you look at the the Catholic Church, for instance, or the Holy Roman Empire, or which was none of the above, <laughs> um, or the British Empire, or you see that they're one. And then slowly, but surely, they break up. Yeah. You know, the British Empire spanned a quarter of the the landmass of Earth. Yeah. And slowly, it broke into pieces because there were different mentalities. However, you can see the... the, They kept the traditional aspects of the British Empire. You can see the Anglo influence Mm -hmm. in all of those countries. You can see the Anglo influence in Taiwan. You can see it in America. You can see it in Canada. India. India, you can see it everywhere. I mean, any country they were in, you can see the influence. And that's much like the way you can see the influence of the original traditional Mandalorians Mm -hmm. in all of these disparate factions. It's really cool when uh, a writer or a script writer or a screenplay writer goes through history and sees what are the commonalities, what would actually happen when they use their, their... their brain, for a lack of a better term, to actually make sci-fi or fantasy mirror reality. Like, yeah. don't don't get me wrong, Lord of the Rings really cool, 
but over 5,000 years, would the elves of Rivendell have really stayed as one cohesive unit? Well, and then that's... Probably not. Science fiction versus fantasy, while they share similarities, that is a different. Science fiction typically pulls from... It stems from some sort of a, a reminiscent time of our world versus fantasy takes bits and pieces, but then it forms its its own ideologies. Right. So... It's still really cool to it, see it, no, the it psychology is. I, side. Exactly. I was just going to say... It makes it more believable. I would say the sociology aspect of how they treat people and cultures, or even anthropological aspect in... Mando just the the series of Mandalorian just did it so well in how they show that even though I'm just a brute bounty hunter Mandalorian, I still have morals. I still have ethics. Right. I still have a way of life I have to adhere to. I'm not just some brazen guns blazing pirate, you know. And even though they're not the morals we would recognize as morals for us, mostly. Yeah. Um, like he has no problem gunning somebody down in the streets, mm-hmm. but he does have a consistent in-universe moral code, and so it does make it somewhat re- realistic, even though it's very fan- fantiful, fantasy, fantiful, fantiful, uh, uh, fanciful. No, fanciful would be fancy. Uh, it, it makes it believable, even though it's obviously false. Like, you can obviously tell Mandalorians don't exist. Right. That That's self-evident. But it makes it more believable because he's consistent to his own beliefs. And it makes it very interesting to see how he responds because you kind of know he only has a couple of responses. Well, that's the, that's the typical of a protagonist, though. In right. In the story, he's the protagonist. And the writers have to make us believe that he's the good guy. Well, and Even though he does bad things. Right. It's it's kind of your space take of a of a western. Yeah, where that's what was cool about he's it. He's a gunslinger, but he's a moral ethical gunslinger. Even though he's killing people in the street, he's doing it for <clears throat> if not a good reason, at least a justifiable reason. Yeah, it's not he's not a Billy the Kid, you know, or a Doc Holliday. He's more of the uh Kurt Russell from Tombstone. What was his character's name? Oh, the preacher. No, no. Uh, I'm trying to think of the historical figure that Kurt Russell played in Tombstone. He's that ethical cowboy who kind of had a rough past, but he now he's like the protector. Dude, that's every western. No, <laughs> it is. But I'm I'm thinking specifically along the lines of. And if you watch some of the old samurai, uh, the old Japanese samurai films, that that really is the same general storyline. Guy had a bad past, did some terrible stuff, and he had a redemption arc. And now you're seeing what he does as as a as a result of the redemption arc. What made Mandalorian so interesting to me was it was like a space western, but you got to see the redemption arc. You got to see him come in contact with the innocent that changed him. Wyatt Earp. Wyatt That's Earp. what it was. Yeah, sorry, I had, but, to, I had to look that up. It was bothering me. <laughs> but you get to see, you get to see the redemption arc. Mm. Whereas in like Tombstone and The Magnificent Seven, you hear that they're bad guys and they're trying to be better, but you never see what changed them. Hateful Eight. It, hateful Eight. Mm. 
in the Mandalorian. Well, there's a lot of those: the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh the, yeah, it's, but yeah, word. Yeah. But you get to see the redemption arc of the character. You get to see what he was before. You see the redemption, and then you see him as a fully renewed character. And it's a really beautiful way of telling a story, and I loved it. And it it really does stem back to those old black and white Japanese samurai films. Yeah, and there's there. If you ever get a chance to watch some of those, they're amazing. Really, really bad acting. Really, really bad, like, That's... The, the camera technology. Yeah. But really cool stories. Because they're like westerns, but with swords. That's and it's really movie. cool. <gasps> yeah. um, but if you ever get a chance to watch those, watch them. And, and see if you can find some of those parallels between that and The Mandalorian and some of the westerns. It's a really fun thought experiment to do. And, and it's really eye-opening when you realize for a hundred years we've been making the same media, but with different stories that are so compelling. Yeah, man, I, I always appreciated that Western aspect of the Mandalorian TV show because it's unlike anything we've seen in Star Wars. It's finally a story of a standalone character. It was character. finally something new. Exactly, that's what I was saying. Which was my original hope when, when Disney bought them. Well, Rogue One was still good. Because that was the same thing, though. That was something new, something exactly. we hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. That's why they succeeded. And I hated the trilogy for one reason and one reason only. The sequel trilogy. They pulled apart all the scenes from the original trilogy, and they rolled dice and found which one needs to go in next, and then they added one or two of their own. So then speaking of that, a uh, little bit of a tangent, but what did you think of the end of Mandalorian Season 2? Oh, where do you want to start on that? Like Luke. Well, where do you want to start? Spoiler alert, if by now you haven't seen all of Mandalorian Season we, 2, I'm just saying, spoiler alert, but Luke Skywalker showing up. Just Luke, we're not going back any further than that, just Luke Skywalker? Because the girl power scene, I actually love the way they did that. Oh, I'm not... Hate I'm the not. girl power, I hate the girl power thing, you know, the girl's version of Ghostbusters, yeah, all that. I think Gina that's Carano's garbage. Yeah, but badass. I think that's garbage. But they did a really good job. They made sure that all the girls in the girl power scene were there because they were badass. They made sure they were there because they were awesome and they deserved that spot. Exactly. So they did a really great job. I really appreciate that. Plus it's Gina Carano Carano playing Cara Dune was a super cool character. Oh, I'm going to miss that so hard. But I'm talking about when Luke shows up, how they tie in. That's what we wanted to see. That was about perfect. That's what we wanted to see. The Jedi Master who conquered his father and conquered the Emperor and destroyed the, the Redeemed Empire. his father. It's like... Did not conquer him. He conquered his father's ideals. He conquered Darth Vader. He redeemed Anakin, his father. Well, redemption or uh, that's conquest an, aside... That's an, in, that's an important distinction. Not, for the, the, Star not Wars the point universe, I'm trying to make. I know. But I, I think it's really cool that they were finally like, hey... The fans are upset that, you know, what's-his-face, Ryan Johnson destroyed Luke. We bastardized Luke and turned him into a coward? Don't get me wrong. One cool scene from The Last Jedi. Hold on. One cool scene from The Last Jedi was when Luke was using that um, battle meditation. Yeah. That was cool. But he didn't have to die from it. That's not how that Jedi you know don't just what? die from being exhausted. That's you, not how the you Jedi. You know what? Work. After what they did to Luke in that trilogy, 
I'm glad they put him out of his misery. (laughs) (laughs) And they did it on a high note. Saving hope in the galaxy and him coming back to be himself. They, They took him out and put him down on a good it's like if you had a dog with cancer you'd want to let him run in the pasture it's an old yeller yeah i mean it's an old yeller thing you just got to put him down in the best way you can Mm. and so i mean you don't want to take him to a sterile veterinary hospital and put him down you want to let him run in the pasture first get you know chase some sheep or some chickens do what dogs like and then you take him in yeah or if you're on a farm and don't have that option, there's always... But that's not politically correct. It is when you've had to do it, but besides that... Of course, but I wasn't going to mention that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, but it's the best way for a dog. But, but I, I, I think... The important part about Luke, before we go on to the next thing, in my mind was always... Luke was a monster. He had the potential to be so dangerous. He was in the extended universe. And he could have... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm having to... Because there's two timelines, I'm having to use the past tense to refer to <laughs> okay. the good canon. Um, uh, yep. So you've got this archetypical man who is truly dangerous. And that's what most men are striving to be. They want to be a monster and then have it under voluntary submission. Mm-hmm. And that was Luke. The guy could call up a force storm as powerful, if not more powerful, than Palpatine. Yeah. The guy could lift... If if Yoda could lift the, the nine pillars out front of the Jedi Temple, Luke could have picked up the temple. Yeah. But he chose... To keep that restrained. That is the he knew the dangers of feeling that kind of power and utilizing it. Exactly. He knew the tyranny that could be caused by good intention, and he kept it under constant vigilance. That was the Luke, and that is what we saw when he came into the end of Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. We saw an absolute warrior using. The amount of force he deemed absolutely necessary. That's why they call him the prodigal son. He could have gotten out of the X-Wing, force crushed every single one of those, and walked in, like, no problem, just like, smush, alright, I'm gonna go talk to the people I'm here to talk to. (laughs) But he only initiated, he never initiated violence. He returned the violence in kind. Well, that's because he was also a Shien master, form, Form 5, so he was... But why was he Shien? Because he saw his father, who was a master of the opposite of Form 5, Gem So, which is the aggressive form. Luke studied Shien, which is the defensive form. He was an absolute animal and chose, in his very selection of a lightsaber form, to have it under voluntary control. The guy could have had all a mastery of all seven lightsaber forms and used them in concert. Eventually he did, in the extended universe, obviously. But And he did, and he obviously could have, because he You achieved. know why he did? It was because when he started up his academy, he, he had, had to, to be able to teach all of them. And why you shouldn't use certain ones, and how to outfit different Padawans well, you with can't different teach, styles. You can't teach knowledge you don't have. Exactly. Um, but the one thing that did bug me, though, was was Yoda using the the Force Storm. Oh, I'm like, 
just so upset. Force ghosts cannot interact on the material plane for Apparently a reason. Apparently they can. <laughs> but, so you have Luke who can do this. He's capable of it. And so you see at the end of Mandalorian 2 what Luke should have been. Full of hope. Full of drive. Full of motivation. Powerful. Mm-hmm. Probably the most powerful person in the galaxy at this point. Well, he is at this I mean, point. more powerful than people commanding entire fleets of Star Destroyers. Well, I mean, yeah, he's a Jedi Master. But, like, even if you take the aggregate strength of the Star Destroyer's firepower, Luke's still more powerful. Yeah. Which is an incredible thing to think about. Like, he could have used Force Storm to destroy a fleet of Star Destroyers. And so you have this guy who comes into the ship, walks calmly, he, he's dignified. He comes in, he's not boasting, he's not boastful in the way that Vader would be. When he comes in, he just slaughters people and you can tell he's got an air of arrogance to him. I wouldn't say an air of Luke, arrogance, it's his confidence. Well, it... it Vader, that that's was a good Vader's way. way that know, was Vader's way, that he, was how he instilled fear. But he never got hurt doing it. Absolutely. Though he had a reason to be arrogant. No, are you talking about the Rogue One scene? I'm talking about every scene. When he takes the when he takes Starkiller from Kashyyyk, you can tell he just walks in, slaughters everybody. When he walks into the base on Hoth, he comes in, he slaughters everybody. He's at the beginning of the forest just walking in like there's a phrase, big D in a locker room. I mean <laughs> <laughs> he just walks in swinging. Big D swinging. <clears throat> so you and then you have like Luke who comes in he has his hood up he's you could there's humbleness in him he walks through almost sauntering or pacing in i wouldn't say vader was arrogant i would say his pride he was confident his pride was warranted because he oh, was, he knew he was still the chosen one but he knew that he in order to continue down the path he was seeking of ultimate power to overthrow the Emperor, he knew he had to keep his rage going. And he was in constant pain, which drove him even more mad. Kind of like Darth Bane when he was... But dude, we can do a whole episode just on Vader. We could. Well, we already have one. That's one of the first ones we did. But we'll, well we could do a whole episode. We could get a psychologist in here <laughs> and talk about the psychology of Vader. But I think but, getting back to Mandalorian, how it ties in, I think it's cool because... Luke saw Jin and he realized he had a connection and he understood the Mandalorians to a degree because he had studied about them at this point. So he knows that, okay, um, Grogu, when he's training Grogu in the Book of Boba series, fast forward, he's like, okay, you can either you can do this, choose. which I still want to know how he got Yoda's lightsaber. Spoiler, by the way, for Book of Boba Fett. I want to know how he got Yoda's lightsaber. Well, where was Yoda's lightsaber? Yoda lost it on Coruscant when he lost to the Emperor. We don't know that. Okay. He definitely didn't go back in and get it. Unless he, unless he did after he, Palpatine left and he snuck in. Well, we don't know how long he spent running from that fight. We don't know where it fell exactly. See, and I've heard theories that Palpatine found Yoda's lightsaber and kept it. So after Luke killed Palpatine, he was able to Well, there's two options. There's, there's two options that I see as reasonable. Yoda could have grabbed his lightsaber with the Force. We see him do it in his battle against Dooku. He loses it and immediately grabs it. He knows where it is. He yeah. just didn't have time during the fight to retrieve it. Uh, and so he could have grabbed it before he went into, I believe it was a vent or a crawl space. 
Mm-hmm. He could have grabbed it before that, put it on his belt, and they just didn't make a note of it. Or it could have been that either Vader or Emperor Palpatine found it and stored it away as a token, kind of a connection to the victory over the Jedi. And when Luke defeats Palpatine and then eventually goes on his collecting spree across the mm. galaxy, yeah, he could have come across it, recognized it, and been like, well, there's only one Jedi this could have been. That's kind of the theory that's been floating around YouTube was that once Luke defeated the Palpatine, he was able to basically recover all Jedi and Sith artifacts. The notorious ones this that is were Im- left. This is important to me because it's I would theorizing. love to see a, a miniseries of different bounty hunters and treasure hunters where each episode... Bro, well, I have a I, series I'd like to of see books a video. on my shelf you can borrow. I would like to see a miniseries of like 40-minute TV shows, maybe a season or two long, where each episode is a different main character being introduced into Star Wars. Um, and you could start with somebody like Boba Fett or somebody like Rengar. Dengar? Dengar. Rengar is a League of Legends character. Yeah, yeah, Dengar. Um, <laughs> I get those two mixed up. It's okay. I'm struggling today, dude. I'm so tired. So did you notice... But if you got... Each episode was a different bounty hunter, treasure hunter, scumbag, villain, whoever... To be introduced into the Star Wars galaxy, start with a few familiar faces, and then new characters after that. Each episode is one of these people stumbling on a Sith vault, or getting a tip and having to follow a treasure hunt. Mm. Maybe you do one or two that are like Dengar. You have him for two episodes, because the first episode is him finding out the information. The second episode is him following the information and opening the vault. And then you could have more of the CGI Luke show up at the end and be like, you're selling Sith artifacts. That's not happening. They're coming (laughs) with me. I'm taking them. And then you get more of this super hyper-powerful Luke that we all know and love. How far are you in uh, Obi-Wan? Not far enough. You're still not far? No. Okay, never mind. Uh, Feels a little slacking, but that's... Summer is a hard season for me. I do outside work. It's 40 minutes. That is a lot of minutes when you're talking about prepping for a cold winter. It's not a lot of minutes before you go to bed. It is if you're reading a hundred or so novels about Warhammer. See, that's... (laughs) Priorities. Priorities. I am! Well, I know that that there's going to be more prospects for Mandalorian. The outlook for the Mandalorians themselves is becoming more prominent, which is good. But like we discussed in the last episode, it's something I'm scared of just because of how easy it is to make the a mistake. The question now becomes, are they more prominent in a Tolkien fashion or a Martin fashion? No, that's not the question. The question is, who's going to be taking on these projects? Well, that's an important question. But is it a J.R.R. Tolkien or a Martin because if it's more prominent in a, in a Tolkien fashion, it becomes more prominent as they become more useful to the story, as they become more likely to be the That's protagonist. That's where I see it, because look at what happened in Book of Boba. Yes. That's kind of, and, I, I'm and seeing so the Tolkien aspect of You it. read more of Minas Tirith as you get closer to Minas Tirith's success over Mordor. You read more about Rivendell as you hear about more of Rivendell's success. 
you get closer to the Lonely Mountain, and the more you read about the Lonely Mountain, the closer you are to the dwarves' success over it. I just worry because... And then you have Martin, and you read more about the person right before they kill him. And that's what I'm worried about, because Jin <laughs> has... You read more and more about about uh, <laughs> the oldest Stark, Barab Stark, until they kill him. Yeah. And about enter character here, Tywin Lannister, about the time I started appreciating his character. I never really liked him, but they kill him. From House Lannister. And so, you have this... You've committed crimes against Skyrim and her people. (laughs) (laughs) So there's these disparate factions, there's the disparate modalities of becoming more prominent. Are they making them more prominent to kill them off? But we don't know yet. We don't know. Because look at, like I was trying to say. that is why it's an interesting question. Look at Jin. He's got the Darksaber. He's technically Mandalore. But now Bo-Katan and the Deathwatch. He's not technically Mandalore. He is Mandalore. No, but by technicalities that he doesn't believe in. Because he still believes in the Mask of Mandalore. Which I think has to show up. But that's that's the point I'm trying to make. So are they going to take it that direction? Of well, that's why Matt, that's why Jen was like, "Here, take the dark saber. I don't need it. I don't give a darn about this." Because the dark saber wasn't a thing back in Mandalore, the Indomitable, Mandalore, the Unstoppable. Well, right. You know all the different Mandalores, the notorious Mandalores throughout time. They didn't believe in the dark saber. They believed in the mask. Well, they needed a they needed a ruling signet after the loss of the mask of Mandalore. And that is when the Darksaber came in as their ruling symbol. Because it was lost after Revan was killed. Right. Well, it was lost after Revan hit it. Um, and then they brought the Darksaber in to fill that void. Well, the the followers of the Way would have been far it was after, it was after older. Revan was killed. Well, he hit it, he got it back, he used it while he was a Sith. The shadow... The and shadows, then he hit it again? The Shadows of Revan... It was destroyed, and he pieced it back together. And when you join forces with... That's what it is. When you join forces with the Alliance, which is the Sith Empire and the Republic coming together to fight Revan, because he's coming back in mass, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to take over the galaxy. And I, I'm not taking over the Republic. I'm not no, taking over the Sith. I'm taking over the galaxy. And when they killed him in the, the unified fight... Right. He... The, the mask is gone, like no one knows what happened to it. That's a story that's still waiting to come out. Obviously that's extended universe because it's Star Wars The Old Republic, it's not canon, but... And they may not bring the mask back. Mask of Mandalore is not even canon in of itself. Right. Due to the designation set forth by Disney, it is an extended universe they item. They may not bring it forward into the canon at all, but I think they almost have to. If they continue st- telling that timeline story, the tradition, the traditional Mandalore story of Jin Djarin, they they'd have almost have to bring it back, or replace it with something similar or of the same nature. Yeah, I mean, it could be a scepter, it could be a, an armor. I mean, it could be an entire the Mandalore armor set. You know, it, it's this is the armor set of Mandalore: a mask, a torso, uh, shoulder, pauldrons, pauldrons, pauldrons. Mm. Greaves, Greaves, uh, the leg coverings. It could Gauntlets. be all. It could be all of it. <laughs> yeah, and that would be kind of cool. Yeah. However, it would make distinguishing one Mandalore from another slightly more difficult because there's hundreds of Mandalores. Throughout time, there were, but if it's the proper set, everyone knew who he was, which is why Mandalore that wore would, that pop. 
Right. That would prove you were Mandalore. It'd be really easy to tell who Mandalore is in any generation of Mandalorians. However, (coughs) it would make it really difficult to tell Mandalore the Indomitable from Mandalore the Ultimate from Mandalore Jin Jaren. Well, yeah, because when he walked in and found, um, gosh, what was the name of that sheriff of that small town in Mos Espa? I can't remember the name of the sheriff, but he walks in and he's like, you're not a Mandalorian. Right. Why are you wearing that armor? He's like, well, take it off me, you know, and that's which kind is of a where, very Mandalorian answer. I know, which is cool. I it sucks that 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 character had to die though. He held his own against the Pikes, but he did get he got blasted by Cat Bane. Yeah, but you almost needed that to happen too. Which ugh, the whole Cat Bane thing, I'm still, I'm still not sure about that. I like it. Oh, I don't know. He's just so and I. It's cool how they brought him in, but at the same time, I'm like, really? You it's cool to see him in a live action. You couldn't pick a different character? Like, why Cat? No, you almost need the notoriety for that role. Why not Aura Singh, who shows up? Why not Dengar? Well, Dengar, Dengar and Boba were... dead? Well, no, Dengar and Boba were on pretty good terms. Uh, yeah, Bosk. But, Dengar, Bosk? but Dengar wouldn't have cared. IG-88? Bosk, Forlom, Zuckus. I think the Any only the other one that would have been better might have been Aura Singh. Bosk, dude. Ooh, you know who would have been fun? The pirate captain. Hondo. Yeah. That would have been pretty cool. Hondo would have been fun. I still think Bosk would have been better. Uh, no, no. Yes. I, I think. Bosk and Boba hated each other. They did. And who better to get hired by the Pikes than a Trandoshan? But it changes the entire. Or Trandoshan, however you want to pronounce uh, it would change the entire kind of feel of the TV show from what it was because one of the key points, I think, for not Bosk, not an alien race, like, uh, very alien that speaks an alien tongue and Zuckus. can't speak. Zuckus was a gand. Right, but they can't speak uh, common. Galactic basic. Is the reason... Basically, you, they wanted to speak Galactic Basic so that nobody had to have subtitles because it changes the feel. And I think that's the feeling they wanted to go for, so they had to limit their choices. And I think Aura Singh and or um, Hondo would have been on that same caliber. But Hondo wasn't a bounty hunter, he was just a pirate. Yeah, but the Pikes aren't above hiring pirates. And if they're trying to take an but entire wasn't planet... Gun, they, they were against hiring pirates because they knew that they couldn't trust the pirates because they just make off with their shipment. They would, but... Especially Hondo. Hondo was always a, but a backstabber. If, but if the Pikes were like, hey, we need to put this place under actual quarantine, we need to cut off the planet from trade, we need to surround it by a fleet, we'll bring some of our own in to keep him in line. Hondo was a Weequay, though, and the Weequay species were very pirate mercenary-esque. They were a lot like uh, the Ferengi from Star War or Star Trek. Yeah. Like they were just a goofy, fun, interesting peoples with a totally different mentality. Their entire peoples were pirates, swindlers. They had no problem mm, stabbing people in the back. And Ferengi, sorry, I text. Uh, Nikto's and Weequays were like. There are a lot of Jabba's guard too, which is why they would have not wanted to work with. Probably Pikes. not wanted to work with the Pikes, and they probably would have been more likely to side with Fett. 
Yeah, that's what I mean, because Fett knew the Weequay clans and the Nictos. And and it would have been really cool to see the Pikes get turned on. Like, the Pikes have a fleet, and they get Hondo in there to help bolster their fleet. And then Hondo just blows up the fleet, because Hondo. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then you could have the whole battle on the surface happen. But I also like the fact that they brought in someone as notorious as... Cad. Cad Bane. Or even Aura Singh would have worked. Because you need it to be believable that they're going to beat the Sheriff and maybe even Manda. Boba, you mean? Or Boba. Sorry. I don't see that happening, but... I don't either, but Boba's old and a little bit slow. He's still a Mandalorian. And, but it's possible. With Aura Singh, there's no way. She'd have gotten smoked. Boba was With as old as his dad was. Bosk? Uh, Bosk would have gotten smoked. No, he wouldn't have. Oh, yeah. Dude. A Trandoshan hunter? No, no, no. With no, a no, Relby no. V10 blaster? Not in-universe. In-universe, they definitely would have been uh, comparable. But you have to remember, they're making these shows for casual watchers who don't know all of the... Uh, and so, I don't think that's a good reason, though. No, no, no. The notoriety of Boba versus the notoriety of Bosk. Who's going to lose? It's the Superman principle. Well, it's not... How it, powerful is... How powerful is... I see your point, but because Superman. because Bosk is more notable in the books and oh, it's yeah. much the series versus but they're Cad not was making the it for the readers. I, that's the, okay. I'm agreeing with your point of the fact that if you won't know about Bosk's history if you don't read, right? Versus Cad Bane, he's in the shows. Yep. people know who he is. He's not in the books. That's exactly. That's why they're doing it. But. And that's why they had to bring him in over Bosk. Yeah. Wow, there is so much in the Mandalorians. Well, that's Mandalorian Part 2. I think we're going to have to cut it off. (laughs) We'll have a Part 3 here next week for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to have to. Maybe even a Part 4. Oh, yeah. We'll keep going until we run out of Mandalorian topics. (laughs) (laughs) Follow the links in the description. Come talk to us. Give us some feedback. We'd love to have more questions to answer. Please do. And we'd love to have some more interaction with you guys on Discord. Link in, link in the description. It is. It's still active. Come and on in. Until Twitter starts stops being garbage, you, uh, when that happens, you'll be able to follow us on Twitter. <gasps> we'll do. But as always, take it easy, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.